This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Iniesta's in the middle. Torres is trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it. Hello, big interview listeners. My name is Neil White, and as we prepare a new season of interviews with some fantastic guests, here just for you is another episode of World Cup 2010 Revista, in which we follow Spain's progress through the World Cup in South Africa 10 years ago. We start today in the aftermath of Spain's 2-0 win over Honduras, the first of two Group H matches they had to win in order to avoid elimination following their opening defeat by Switzerland. Now, they have three down days before they play their final group game against the group leaders, Chile. Joining me from Barcelona today is Graham Hunter, who in 2010 was embedded with the Spain team in his role as a TV producer for FIFA. On the cover of the book that Graham wrote about Spain's three tournament victories from 2008 to 2012, Gerard Piquet says of the World Cup, Graham Hunter was with us every step of the way, which I think, Graham, is a polite way of saying that he couldn't quite shake you off. Well, politeness can get to, uh, can, can, because I want to say if I was embedded with Spain, I was Rip Van Winkle and they were the Kama Sutra. You know, I, I think if you're going to intro in that way, there might be new listeners, Neil. We're in Potchefstroom, Neil, is where we are, because as you pointed out, they've, they've, they've skated over. Um, stormy water. I love that. That's a brilliant metaphor. To skate over stormy water would be one hell of a trick because if they lose against Honduras, which they shouldn't do, they're out. And Poch is this little university town that we've described before. Poch at this stage is sort of sparkling azure blue during the day. The best kind of winter day in the UK or Ireland, for example. It's chilly if you're in any kind of shade or if the wind gets up, but there's sun. And during the day, it's absolutely, your, your nostrils are stinging because of the, the thin air, really thin air. But these days, um, as you pointed out, are just temporarily, there's a, there's a blink of an eye when it's more relaxed. And you see a flood of uh, grandparents, mothers and fathers, girlfriends, kids, wives coming in and out of the the HQ for Spain in, in Poch because there's just a tiny bit of relaxation and we're living in a really lovely place where you can set off by foot and wander downtown to Moy Riviere, which is be- literally beautiful river in Afrikaans. Um, or you can get down to the, you know, a mall's a mall, but it's a shopping mall, and you get, for the players, you get out of HQ. So a little nick downtown for a coffee or a bit of sushi, all of that arrives as a tiny bonus for beating Honduras. And there's one group game to go. Graham, you and I are recording this on 
June 23rd, which might not mean much to a lot of our listeners, but where you are, kind of a big deal, and it's going to play a part in the next little comic aside, this story of uh, Spain's World Cup in 2010. Can you first of all explain to somebody from a base of complete ignorance what the, uh, the festival that is happening today in Spain and Catalonia is? Well, allow me to retort. I, um, I don't like the implication that you've implied there that the solstice doesn't mean much to me or to those around because I'd asked all the hippies to package up Stonehenge and, and, and nick it out via Amazon or uh, UPS to Potchefstroom. Now, naturally, either they said no or just didn't get around to it because, you know, hippies, man. The summer solstice uh, San Juan... Uh, or San Juan in uh, in Catalonia is used as an excuse for a massive party, lots of drinking, fireworks everywhere, and I suppose it's a celebration of the you know the the middle of the year that has gone on century after century after century. Mm-hmm. So y- what you're leading to is that the Spain players wanted to have little things like, for example, it, when they're at a tournament in what's called San Fermin, which is the festival of the um, running of the bulls in Pamplona um, they'll get dressed up in the white shirts and the little red neckerchiefs just to have a a little memory of home if they're going to be away for seven weeks and San Juan is treated similarly. And uh, the squad has its own San Juan as well or or San Juan um, because the starting left back from Euro 2008 and this World Cup is Juan Capdevilla who is from Catalonia, is that right? Capdevilla is is, is an outright uh, Catalan, Espanol fan, grew up an Espanol fan, made his name originally Espanol, couldn't believe it when he came into the country, lived about uh, an hour outside uh, Barcelona and he, he recounts that he was, a, he was a really good footballer and eventually he gets spotted by Espanol's scouts as a really young kid and as he gets driven into Barcelona by his dad, he recounts retrospectively that he thought he was in New York because he was a boy from the countryside, to see all these skyscrapers, to see all this glistening modernity and hustle and bustle, scared the crap out of him originally as he came in as a kid. But he's one of the most characterful, funniest um, people in football that I've ever met. I remember the first time we spoke, it was after a Deportivo La Coruña game, um, when Depor had beaten... PSV in the in the Champions League. If if I'm right, I think three one, maybe three nil. Arjun Robin had come off the bench for PSV, and um, I'm interviewing a couple of people afterwards, and and it comes to my turn to interview Captivilla, and, and I've been in Spain not that long at this stage, and he kind of just looks at me as he's answering the questions, as if to say, "Who is this crazy cat?" If he thinks I'm not normal. Joanne definitely is not either. That's for damn tooting. And don't forget he wasn't the only uh, San Juan in, in the squad because there's wee Juan Mata as well, who's an Asturian, um, up from near where Oviedo and um, Gijón are. But it's, 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 Juan, it's Juan Captavilla who... Because you're egging me on to tell a story, aren't you? Well, because you've covered all three tournaments in the book that we produced together... I know that he's got some form for this particular festival. They they have an organised version of it in South Africa, but two years previously, Euro two thousand and eight, he, he had to he had to improvise 
Yeah, whatever the whatever the date sequence is in year two thousand eight, they've gone further, and he they're already by this stage they've moved from Innsbruck and they're in in Vienna, and I guess they're building up to maybe the Italy game. Um, Cap de Vila is is kind of a little bit, if not homesick, he's like, well, bollocks to this. I don't care if we're in the middle of trying to win a European Championship. It's San Juan. Nobody's making a big fuss about it. So <laughs> locked up. This is why he, he's definitely the player in that squad who I equate to most. And he's the only guy. I bet he's the only guy that's won a World Cup who, who's who's happy to tell people I can't play. My my feet are triangular shaped. He said I'm no good. He, I've I've chatted to him before where he's happy to go on about how, <laughs> how crap a footballer he is. Now it's it's absolute bullshit. He's he's I think he's a a really special footballer, but he's a he's a wee mental case. He's just a he's just a caja de sorpresas. He's full of nonsense. So in Vienna, what he does is he, he fills a metal waste paper basket full of newspaper and. And, and wrapping paper and all that kind of shit because here in San Juan in, in Spain the, the, the tradition is you build a massive bonfire and you let fireworks off in it people gather around it but while it's either while it's being built and it's small or while it's still aflame and, and winding down people take a running jump over it Captavila builds a mini bonfire in his metal uh, waste paper bin in Vienna sets it on fire I don't know what he did with the smoke alarm and he leaps over it and in Poch they have a different idea they're like right we're never going to let Juan alone in his room with a box of matches again out on the concrete um, on the forecourt in front of the residential building they build a nice bonfire everybody gets out the whole Spanish contingent everybody from through Paloma to the president to Yero all the players all the kit men, all the physios, everybody, everybody is out there. Um, there's a, a bit of singing, joking, and between them, I, if I remember correctly, I, certainly Captain Villa jumps over the bonfire. I think Juan Mata does too, and I think it would be a bit poncy to say this is how World Cups are won, but it didn't do any damn harm. It's it's a it's a little thumbnail of the way that the squad is kind of behaving as one the spirit within them it's touchy-feely and as they move closer to the game it's not like that anymore because the stakes are so high they're traveling to Pretoria for this game their final group game which if anybody doesn't know is it, it could just as well be Johannesburg Pretoria and Johannesburg are geographically near each other like Dens Park and Tannadice so it's going to be um, a bust they would have normal circumstances they would have the option of taking their plane from Poch to Pretoria for this game. They're on a bus because they might be going home that very night. The stakes are such that they might not be going back. I mean, what would the itinerary been for them and maybe for you? This is something that overtook me because you're embedded, you're far away from home, you're working very hard, you get into routines, you, you, you're just getting your chin above water. You kind of think, boy, we're making something out of this. And one of the great lessons I've taken out of all the, the tournaments I've been at, um, whether I've been with a winning team or a losing team, is that you need to be in step with them. You need to feel some sort of synchronicity. 
Otherwise, you, you're, you're not getting the best out of it yourself and you won't be doing the best job. So, you know, while none of the three of us were, were, were playing or training, we were working at their rhythm. We were getting less sleep than them. We were travelling when they travelled. The importance of what they did in the pitch mattered fundamentally to how long we were going to be at the uh, tournament. So when we leave, we feel like they feel. We pack up and we've got... I mean, I can't even begin to describe how much... We need a what is effectively a minivan to take all the huge, bulking, heavy camera equipment and screens and lights and... We pack up because if, if this lot lose, we're going home too. They pack up. Potchestroom effectively is a ghost town. Everything is gone. And they, they, they as you point out, they take the bus um, because the, you know, the, the plane that they use to, to hopscotch from Potchestroom to either Joburg or Pretoria or Cape Town isn't going to have, isn't going to be able to contain all the stuff that they need because it's not the, the plane that they fly home in. So they, they, they take a, a, a fleet of buses with the players and the administrative staff and the kit to Pretoria, knowing that if this game doesn't go well, then they're, then they're definitely going home. And it's a, it's, it, it, I, I want to just pick up on what you said, because apart from San Juan, there, there has been lightness of touch, and, and, and then it changes like a chill, like night dropping when you, you, you stayed that extra hour on the beach and you, you think, well, this is fine, and suddenly, now it's cold. For everybody who's leaving that morning to head to Pretoria... Um, although they, they not that morning they leave late Neil because the the pitch um, in Pretoria the, the Muppets that have been organised in the World Cup have forgotten that it's winter <laughs> forgotten that the pitch is cut up in winter there's been USA against I'm going to say Algeria but I'm not sure which USA have used to progress in the tournament and the pitch is so bad that the the local organising committee say to Spain and Chile you can't train on the pitch so they leave Poch a little bit later but just to echo your point when we leave, every single person, for different reasons, is thinking, please let us be back. Please let us be back here. Suddenly, Potchestroom feels like heaven. Yeah, and it's reflected. If you look back at pretty much any account of this World Cup, whether it's one of the oral histories or the documentaries that you see or just interviews with these guys looking back, this bus journey always comes up. It seems to have been... Uh, a moment for these guys and they all have the same story because not much happens on this bus journey and that's kind of the point I mean we've got four quotes that I took from the book from Del Bosque, David Villa, Gerard Piquet and Xavi and they all basically say the same thing you know Del Bosque says the silence during the bus ride was terrible David Villa says the hours before the Chile game were the most nervous he could remember in his entire career Piquet said there was so much silence and everybody was lost in their own world and Chavi said he could see the tension on everybody's face. It was extraordinary. It's, I mean, you've, you've spoken to a lot of these players for the book that you wrote, and you've, you've spoken to more of them since. It, it really comes over that they, they just weren't sure what lay ahead. And I guess Chile represented a much different obstacle than they'd just overcome in Honduras. What, what, does, what, does, every, what does creativity teach us? Um... In rock music, the, the the difficult second album, you know, the film that, that isn't a sleeper hit after the first one has been, that perennial saying in sport about it's harder, it's easier to get on top than it is to stay on top. So while it's eventually, spoiler, going to prove that 2008 
is worth something more than the medals that they've got because eventually the, the nourishment that they gained from 2008 will be a central theme in what happens to them in the remainder of this tournament. On this bus journey, but also on the bus journey, there's two journeys, Neil, to be honest with you. There's the one from Poch to Pretoria, and then second, there's the one en route from their hotel in Pretoria to Loftus-Versfeld, where they're going to play in a rugby stadium against Chile. And they know that having been champions in 2008 should mean something. They know that they're good. They know that there's a likelihood that they're as good as anybody in this tournament. And to be honest, some of the players will have been thinking, we are the best team at this tournament. They, they will have. Realistically, they'll have believed that because of what they've done for La Roja and what they've done for their clubs, let's be honest too. But the doubts, the angst surround the fact that, you know, they've gone 35 games without losing before the Switzerland defeat. And the Switzerland defeat, they're sure that it was an accident and they're going to be proven right. But when you've had an accident, you naturally think about, oh, I don't want that to happen again. It's just the most natural thing in the world for any of us, however good we are at something, to think, oh, that was a jar of cold water. What if it happens again? That's what's going on. None of them are falling out with another. None of them think we're weak in that position. That isn't happening. None of them are in dispute with Del Bosque. None of them are hiding an injury that's going to be really debilitating. None of the things that can make you say retrospectively there was fear and there was silence on the bus journeys because kind of deep down they knew that this wasn't a time. No, 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 no. They were going, please God, don't let it be the case that we, we drop the ball, that we screw up what should be not just a win against Chile, but a win in the tournament. That's what's going on. And it's all pervasive, Neil. Yeah, I, w I wonder if you got a sense of how the failure of France and Italy especially affected, whether that dripped into their mentality at all, because these are the two finalists from the previous World Cup. You talked about the connection that they were making between what they had achieved in 08 feeding into their campaign in 2010 and France and Italy the 06 finalists had not only failed to qualify already before Spain played their final group they both finished bottom of their groups and I just wonder if that was hey the way is clearer for us now if we do beat Chile because two of the big guns are, are out of the way or were they saying this is a minefield and, and it, it could be us that's what I'm trying to explain to the listeners about the, 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 this mentality they, they, they looked at them as two thorny rivals out of the way. Not like, oh God, that could be us too. Their, their fear of tripping up was based upon their own potential, their own achievements. And if you think about it, they, they knew that these two sides were, were groups that had gone further than Spain. So, for example, if you want to go back to 98, France win it. Their win in 2000 is possibly even more comprehensive in that they reach a level, I think, in, in the semi-final against Portugal, which supersedes anything they did in 98, including the final. And, I, and you know, they then go like, well, we're street fighters now, and they shouldn't have got to the final of 2006, but they do. So, you know, and, and knocking Spain, not knocking some of this the squad that are on this bus that with the with the chilly atmosphere were in the team that lost to, to France in, in that World Cup uh, last 16 game, I think it was. Now, 
as far as Italy are concerned, you know, they, they've won in 2006. Spain have had to have, have you know, two falls in a submission. You know, it's full on Saturday afternoon, Dickie Davis, World of Sport Wrestling to get Italy out of the tournament in 2008. And Sp Spain, no. It's not like, oh, there but for the grace of God go us. No, Spain are like, all the more reason that we can't screw up against Chile because those are two big guys out of our way who haven't done well in the group. But if they've got through the last 16 and we'd drawn them, that's their mentality. It's like, good, let them all fall. Let them all fall. Okay, so we move on to game day and it's going to be a tense, nervy affair. But before that, and probably unexpected for everybody involved, you're landed with an unusual mission. Yeah, if, if people don't yet know Manolo El Del Bombo, Manolo is a guy who... I, I was recently making a, a UEFA film of Aberdeen's uh, Cup Winners' Cup win in 1983. I'm going through... Did, the they win, did they win the European Cup Winners' <laughs> Cup in 1983? You never mentioned this. <laughs> guess how they got there. Guess, guess what happened in the quarterfinal. You'll never... No, you'll never guess. You'll never guess. And going through the cuts, <laughs> see, there's Manolo El Del Bombo with his great big flat black chapella hat and his Real Madrid strip in Gothenburg, cheering on Real Madrid. So this, this guy is a survivor, and that was 1983, and this incident is 2010. The story begins in 1982, when Spain have won the right to win the World Cup, and Manolo is a bar owner in Valencia, and he thinks that if Spain are hosting the World Cup, then almost for sure they're going to win it, and he's going to be part of it. So he decides, I need an identity. And his identity, although he's not Basque, is that huge, brilliant, great big black chapella hat that looks like a, a massive oversized beret, French beret, with a little nipple on the top. And it, you've got to wear it with a tilt. You know, Sinatra would have liked the angle that the chapella's um, worn with. And usually he, he'd be nicking around with a neckerchief, a, a, a Spain strip, a pair of breeks and a huge, huge, great big drum. Because Manolo, which is Manuel, Manolo El Del Bombo, Manolo the drummer, carries this huge, great big drum with them everywhere. And he's like, it's it's got sort of um, uh, football, yes, violence, no, and Viva España on either side. And he'll turn up outside Stadia and growing because he'd been at every tournament since 1983 that Spain have qualified for. He's iconic. He's known throughout the country. Um, in 2010, he's been made part of the Spanish FA expedition in that whether it's through superstition or whether it's out of kindness, they've taken him to South Africa. They're putting him up with the, the administrative staff. They've got him tickets. But of course, as he turns up at Lost Loftus Versfeld, they won't let him in. They're like, now whether somebody's heard, because Manolo is not the world's greatest linguist. In fact, he's not fantastic in Spanish. And I think he may have said, it's me bombo, it's me bombo. And I can understand some South African security guys hearing the word bomb, not drum. So at this stage, it's, it's a real paddy and Matt, you're not getting in, you're not getting in. And of course, Manola doesn't have, we're Bolton, we're mental, we're off, we're on the piss tonight. So, who does he phone? And it's not Ghostbusters, because he's lost a number. 
he phones Ghost Bumper. And I'm sitting in whatever TV production studio waiting for identifying players for the, the match producer. And I get this phone call is going again and again, and I ignore it and ignore it, and it's Manolo. And I take it, and he's like, Amigo, amigo, no me dejan entrar. They're not letting me in. No me dejan entrar. Dicen que no puedo entrar con mi bombo. They won't let me in, and they say, I've got to leave my drum behind. And he's almost in tears. And I happen to be inside the stadium. There happens to be a dressing room. Now, I'll deny this, but 10 years, I think, is a statute of limitations, although statutes are being torn down now, I believe. Um, I see a Springbok, South African rugby kit, training kit, hanging up in in a dressing room, and I think, like, bollocks, I'm nicking this. So I do nick it, head to the gate where Manolo says he is. I bribe the security guard by saying, listen, if I give you this South African training kit from within Loftus Stadium, will you let Manolo in? And he's like, sharp, sharp. So Manolo's in, I'm in, and the game can start. Not because of Manolo, but they wouldn't dare start without me. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's go back, just rewind briefly, because before these guys left Poch, they did call a sort of second mini-conference between some of the sort of senior staff members and some of the senior players in the cricket pavilion uh, that's part of the campus there. And the message this time, I'm not sure if Del Bosque got it completely right. You write that he told these guys, if you don't win against Chile, if we end up going home, I, Del Bosque, will take the heat. So just go out and play with a smile on your faces. Now that seems to have stung the leaders of this squad, namely Xavi and Ica. If I'm reading it right, your account of it, they they hang on to those words and they use them in the dressing room after Del Bosque gives what is a very short pre-match um, team talk himself. He then leaves and Xavi and Ica take the floor. Yeah, look, I, th- I think t- t- to go back to the cricket club thing, they, 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 they use that venue again because the first time it's been a crisis meeting and it's really worked. And we have Dabowski, Tony Grandi, Fernando Hierro, Xavi Casillas, Fernando Torres, Alonso, Marchena, uh, Pepe Reina. And I, I think he did the right thing, Dabowski. You know, he, he said, if, if this goes against us, I won't hang you out to dry. You will be able to go home and I will say this is my fault. I want you to play without the pressure of thinking there'll be a lynch mob waiting for us. The press are going to be on our back. Our families are going to be ashamed. He's saying, I'll take the blame. Now, I still think that's the right thing to say. But you're right that this is where 2008 begins to be important because Luis Aragonés wouldn't have considered the possibility of failure. His would have been a mixture of bombast, and humour and idiosyncrasies and the squad would have come out of that last cricket club meeting or actually not the squad the you know the inner sanctum thinking right brilliant we're on it we can't lose 
Now, the, the, the difference is that Luis Aragonés in his um, winning tournament doesn't drop a point. They win everything. That gives a different momentum. And Del Bosque is faced with having to say, look, if suddenly it's just not meant, the ball won't go in, the referee's a mentler, um, somebody gets sent off, breaks a leg, whatever, if it's not our day, I've got your back, I've got you covered. I don't think he was wrong, it just wasn't enough. Because these are hard men. At the time I couldn't leap forward to Russia in whatever the Russia was, 2018. But when Spain are knocked out by Russia after a pathetic campaign, literally, and a pathetic exit against Russia, and they lose on penalties, and it's Iniesta's last tournament, it's Iniesta's last match, and we've got Iniesta as our interview, there, producing in the same role as, as we are at 2010. Marchena's there, and Marchena, amongst all the things that have happened with Fernando Hierro going there as kind of Lopetegui's director of football, Fernando Hierro taking over when Lopetegui is sacked by the Spanish president, Lucy Rubiales. Marchena gets co-opted in as, as director of football for the tournament. And we're still friendly. Every time we meet, we talk and we talk properly and he's interesting. And on the way past me, as we've just finished the Iniesta interview, Marchena stops and he says, maybe now people will understand about character and personality how bloody hard it is to win a World Cup. And that's the spirit. He's in this cricket club meeting. That's the spirit that that comes through now because the leaders say to Dubosky, aye, thanks, that's something we'll file away, but we're not going to need it. We're not going to we're not going to use that. The tension is high. I can't be contradictory. The tension is high. They are worried because it's only natural and otherwise the bus journeys that we talked about wouldn't have been as, as silent, as ominous. But um, you talked about the team talk and when Del Bosque has got the idea that the dressing room before a game is not the place to be going into detail, to be restoking ideas, to be saying to people, have you got that now? Just, just remember, he thinks that if the work is done, you get in, you say something, and I'll read, you know, I'll read this in English what he says. Dabowski stands up in the Loftus changing room before Chile and he says, okay, I say this every time, but more than ever, don't get suckered into making mistakes and let's be united out there. If there's one guy with the ball, there must be two around him. And just one detail, there are many, many lads back home for whom you are examples. Let's go out there and just do it for them. And I timed it, you know, retrospectively, not, not in the minute, 13 seconds. And we've not done that in this podcast a lot, Neil, because they carried forward the huddle in the dressing room. Everybody piles in, literally everybody. doesn't matter if your only job has been polishing the boots. There's this massive, great big huddle, and they get into it as if there was gold in the middle. And once everybody's in there, it's Casillas who shouts, Uno, y dos, y tres. And then everybody screams, Ganari, Ganari, Ganar. Win, win, win. And I think what you are fishing for is the fact that Taboski's idea then is, right, okay, that's the build-up done. You've been warmed up. Now it's now I'll get out of the way and everybody can get out and play. And what Xavi and Casillas want to say is, right, lads, never mind anything we've set up to now. This is it. This is the match of our life. Never mind playing football with a smile on our face. It's all or bust. It's win, 
win-win. This is life or death, the match of our careers. They were, they were saying to everybody, no hiding places, no second best, no pretty football, win. Chile against Spain, both sides with the potential of going through to the final 16 and both with that dreaded potential of finding themselves out of the World Cup if results go against them here tonight. So Bielsa's Chile, they've won both of their opening two games. They go into the game with a, a team that's young and contains three players that are going to come into contact with the Barcelona contingent of the Spain team at some point in their futures. So the three players I'm talking about are Claudio Bravo in goals, we have Vidal in the midfield and up front, Sanchez. Yeah, I thought they were daunting. I think we're a little bit unaware about how exceptional Claudio Bravo is going to go on and prove himself to be, but he's established and talented. Um, Arturo Vidal, again, is somebody who's yet to make the impact that he has, but I mean, I'm losing count now. If he were to win the title this season with Barcelona, which on balance I think he won't, I, I think that would be nine straight titles between Juventus, Bayern Munich and Barcelona. You, you don't do that unless you're exceptional. Um, Mark Gonzalez had caught my eye at the time because he was effectively South African. Rob Moore, my friend, knew him. I was watching him as a promising footballer. I don't think, I genuinely don't think that I had any clue about how good Alexis was going to be, but he was a live wire. Uh, Beausajour was a better footballer than he's now remembered as being. And Gary Medel, well, I played a role in, in um, th th there was a move for him where he was um, transferred to a team that Marky Mackay was running. And I spoke really highly of him because he is a little pit bull. He's a dangerous little football. Fabian Orellana is another footballer I, whose behaviour and attitude I dislike, but he's carved out a very good career for himself in La Liga here. It, it was a squad full of talent. It was extremely well coached in terms of the brand of football they played. They were quick. The ball flooded off their feet. If you dozed off for a second, they would break down your front door, um lock up your granny in a cupboard, pinch all your crown jewels and pretend they'd never been there. That's the kind of side that they were. And I, I looked at them as being intimidating. And if you're talking even about the opening skirmishes, they created chances where they seemed to be cutting through Spain. Still doing well. Nicely run over. Jambouchasor to send it back in. And a real chance. Mark Gonzalez finding himself here with an excellent opportunity against a Spanish defence that found itself stretched. Beausajour's cross and a little more care in the completion of that could have given Gonzalez a goal. Here's Beausajour at the other end. Oh, the deflection has just taken it wide. And it was Piquet coming to get back to make a very good challenge to deny Beausajour a clean strike on goal here. That's um, excellent defending. Piquet has pedestal he's, not, he's right? not on the screen. He's not on the screen. So first of all, it's, it's the recovery pace, which you know we know he's got. And then just as Beausajour's pulling the trigger, he, he does that exactly what you say, periscope legs on the wrong foot. So he's inside Beausajour and he's using his left foot around the corner like that and gets something on the ball. 
And Iker doesn't know because as the shot comes in, Iker is reaching to his right, but he doesn't know where it's going to land. He doesn't know if it's going to get there. Somehow it spins outside the right post. I'd almost argue that the beautiful one too that uh, Bossasure works um, done the right and flicks it in for Mark Gonzalez, who's who's on the edge of the six-yard box and the left post, the same post as as when PK blocks Bossasure. And, and he, all he's got to do is scoop it on target. And, and Iker has come to his front post. If Gonzalez makes an on-target touch, it's a goal. It's definitely 1-0 Chile. These are good chances. But across the pitch, there was a vibrancy. There was a Bielsa football where you're like, wow, look at the way that ball has scooted between four men. And it isn't simply passes. They're moving off one another because it's like it's pre-programmed. Because like with Guardiola, when Bielsa football functions well it, it does look beautiful and it does look as if they're almost uh, controlled by a console and you're like oh god yeah that was bound to happen because that's written into the circuit board this is Valdivia again it's rather easy for Xabi Alonso and here's Torres the goalkeeper's out Fia from a long way out David Fia what a goal what a goal he becomes their leading goal scorer in World Cup finals but Claudia Bravo in the Chile goal has got a lot of questions to answer. Absolutely gifted, as long as you can find the target from 30 yards. And David Villa curling it in, cool as you like. So the first goal has a couple of mistakes that definitely weren't in Bielsa's circuit board. The first, I'm going to give you guys a little insight into what's coming up in the new season of The Big Interview because we, last week, recorded with Didi Haman. So Trapattoni, when he's coached at Bayern Munich, tells Haman to ignore his sort of instinctive urge to follow a straight pass, so Haman's own straight pass. And before he was coached by Trap, his instinct would have been to follow that pass, to look for it back off the centre forward, who's playing with his back to goal. Trap says, no, don't ever follow that straight pass because if we lose possession, you're way out of position and we're in trouble. You've already mentioned Gary Medell. There are two errors here, and one of them completely dwarfs the other one. But the smaller, the smaller of the two, typically from Adele, no shade, is the pass that he follows out of defence. So he's joining in the attack off the back of his own straight pass, but he gets picked off, and straight away there are a man, a man down in defence. But from that moment, <laughs> I mean, you've mentioned that you didn't know how good Bravo was going to be but he should be nowhere near the the ball that he comes out to try and to try and clear away from from Fernando Torres. So you're right when traps his time man if you're coming out with the ball if you I mean what people need to understand from your description it's a sort of Beckenbar PK Sergio Ramos Van Dijk move. You know you're on the ball you're coming clear whether you've been playing centre half or controlling midfield you're coming forward the the, the striker shows you give it to him, you, you rake it into his boots and you're coming up in case he wants to lay it off you because that allows him to spin and go. It means that the, the man in the centre of the opposition defence has to commit to you so an inside forward can make a, a channel run that wasn't there from previously. You underst We understand why you know, there's a Pandora's box of, of things to be unleashed there if you, if you do follow the passes a man was told by Trap not to do. We, we gaz, right? He's not a central defender. He doesn't have to play there. But Bielsa reckons it's a good idea. 
So Medell, who's never been taught by Trap or Bielsa, don't follow the direct ball out of um, into the feet of your striker in case you're exposed. He hasn't got the judgment because like Mascherano, when he's converted from central midfield to centre-back, he takes months to, to, to stop making midfield decisions at centre-back. And why wouldn't you? If you spend all your life making midfield decisions, it becomes automatic. It's not like, oh, I think I know what I'll do now. You make these decisions in, in split seconds. So Modella's felt Valdivia. Now, Valdivia is, is a sloppy, lazy git. It just so happens that he's been gifted with really extravagant talents. So, one, when those talents function, he's one of Chile's better players, certainly in a creative sense. Two, his talents are such that they've given him the impression that he doesn't have to work. So, as uh, this sequence of event is Medellas punting it into Valdivia. Valdivia's touch is poor. Xabi Alonso robs him, and off he goes and sends a lovely ball down the left into a race between Jara and uh, El Nino Torres. And El Nino Torres, is, you're right, is probably going to lose it. I thought you were a bit harsh, but far be it from me, given how harsh I am sometimes on, on Claudio Bravo for saying that there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. He makes a decision where if he slides in, as he does, he comes racing out of his goal, Hara is probably going to get there first. Torres probably isn't going to damage. So if you go percentage, you stay at home because you think, well, that's not that's not likely for El Nino to beat Hara, take his left foot, turn into the box and threaten me. But Bravo gets there. He gets there first. And all he has to do is punt it into the stand. But he doesn't. The ball lands at the feet of David Villa. It's a minimum 30, 35 yards and it goes over everybody's head. It's never going anywhere except the net. It's an absolutely nerveless, classy, technically exquisite, orgasmic 1-0 goal. Iniesta, winning it back for Spade again. Here's Torres again now. Lays it back for Iniesta. Via. Torres has gone down on the edge of the penalty area. Iniesta, oh, delightful. Absolutely delightful. It's a snooker shot, isn't it? Because, you know, when Iniesta wins, it feeds Torres. Torres puts it to Villa. Sorry, Torres gives it to Iniesta. Iniesta gives it to Villa. And what happens is Iniesta's fed it to Villa on the left side of the penalty area. And we're used to, particularly after the Honduras game, thinking, well, what happens is now Villa faint to keep going to the left, cut back onto the right and bend one with his right into Bravo's, towards Bravo's top left-hand corner. And, and that, what happens is that every Chile shirt runs towards the ball and towards the goal. Nobody thinks about that classic move of it's coming back to the guy who initiated this latest part of the move. And and then when Iniesta receives the ball, he knows that if he strikes it first time and in a controlled, it's nothing to do with power, he just likes, there's, there's, the, there's the top pocket. I can put the red into that top pocket. And there's nothing Bravo will be able to do with if I connect with it perfectly. And as that ball has been held on the left by Villa and Iniesta's making his run, Fernando Torres is also making a move into the box. Behind him and across the back of his path goes Estrada. The referee has actually shown a red card here as well. It's Estrada. Well, in the build-up to that, Torres went down. There's the clip on the heels. Of Fernando Torres. The referee has obviously seen something but allowed the advantage 
and Iniesta's goal stands, but Estrada has been sent off. But after all of that, Spain lead here by two goals to nil. I, I didn't like any of it. Um, the Mexican referee uh, was ultra strict. It, it, it's it's something that he could have been politically shrewd, given that Spain are two 0 and, and left alone. If there was VAR right now, then as there is now, they'd have looked at it and said, "That's wholly accidental. It's away from the play. There's no red card." Nonetheless, um, Estrada sent off. Chile got a deflected equaliser, which drives Iniesta absolutely to the to the port, to, to the edge of wanting to assault one of his own players because it just feels sloppy. Although it's not particularly sloppy, it it comes in the shot comes in off PK's right knee and and spirals over Casillas. There's nothing that can be done, but that is not the most dramatic thing that will happen in the remainder of this match. Sanchez, near again, looking for a way to goal and has found it. Chile are back. Ika Casillas beaten there by deflection, but he seemed to be stranded as Rodrigo Mia's shot came in. Mia hitting it, and it comes off the leg of PK. That's why Casillas was so out of position. At the stage where it's 2-1 and we are all chewing our nails, going, which way is this barnstorming game, this crazy group, going to finish? Suddenly there's like a freeze comes over the game. Chile with 10 men and 2-1 down, uh, which I like to call losing, <laughs> stop playing. It's as if they went on strike. They're like, Or as if there was an electric ray which would frazzle them on the halfway line. Because they gather in their own half and they just sort of stand there. And Spain sort of attempt to play towards them. And then once Chile get the ball, a tackle or a misplaced pass... They boot it back up the Spain field, but don't go after it, and they just stand there. And there, there is bewilderment, uh, and Spain take two or three moves to work out that something's wrong. And what, what is very helpful is the match director begins to show Bielsa, and Bielsa is ordering his team not to compete anymore. What he wants is that they, they tacitly offer Spain this result that they defend if Spain come near them but that gradually as the minutes tick by Spain begins to understand with I guess about 13-14 minutes left I genuinely don't know Chile are like let's not play now what happens is because Bielsa is so clearly saying this will do to his team it has to do with the what's going on between Switzerland and Honduras elsewhere. And and pretty remarkably, not that not Switzerland are prolific goal scorers, but they you know they should be beating Honduras and they're not. It's nil-nil. And at the point that it's nil-nil, there is a risk that if Switzerland um, managed to score uh, twice and, and it stays 2-1 against Chile, then Chile go out. But if Switzerland scored once and Chile concede a third they go out and Bielsa reckons that the 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 thing he can tr- can control is not the Switzerland game he says we can control that we don't concede a third and therefore my percentage bet is that Switzerland are not going to score um two goals against Honduras in the remaining time we're going to we're going to say to Spain you know you're through you're winning and Spain up 2-1, they know that they are winning in group winners and that they, they, they don't face Brazil. So he's offering them, a, a, you know, something that 
in, if it was a conference or if it was a business um, deal, perfect. In football terms, it would make you want to stick your fingers down your throat and vomit until you were dry because it's a swick. But it's a swick that eventually, <laughs> certainly Iker doesn't want to, as captain, doesn't want to ship in any more goals. And, and largely Spain make the better job of making it seem as if they're still competing when they're not. Del Bosque hasn't got a clue what's going on because he's got one thought in his head, win. Win by playing well, win by 3-1. And it takes Tony Grandi. And, and I suspect also, although Tony Grandi is assistant, uh, is probably is fed the information by somebody else. It takes Tony Grandi to say to Del Bosque, no, listen, boss, don't worry about it. This means we're through. If Chile aren't playing, never mind what happens to them, at 2-1 we win the group. So <laughs> Spain participate in, in the only thing that I found in the whole tournament that um, as, they, as they marched to victory that I didn't enjoy, but you know, business is business. And the referee will blow his whistle. At the end of 90 minutes, Spain know for absolute certainty that they are going through. Chile's body language would suggest they feel they might be through as well. But Spain have won here tonight by two goals to one. I'm not sure there's, there are too many coaches that would risk anything in that situation. On, on Del Bosque's part, I'm not sure about the sort of game theory that, that Bielsa worked out. I mean, I think it was correct in the end to, to, to figure it out that way. Do you know what it's like, Neil? Do you know what it's like when, again, I'm cheating because I've got time travel here and so do you. It's like him saying, yeah, we sneaked into um, Derby's training ground to watch them. What's wrong with that? Everybody does it. And and percentage-wise, he's like, if I can get an edge and I can get away with it and it's not literally against the rules, then, you know, the, the, the 11th commandment is don't get caught. I would argue that is he doing anything differently in that situation to a team that are 1-0 up in a cup tie and down to 10 men and defend it with everything. They just put 10 men behind the ball and try and survive. Yes. Yes, he is. Because he, he's, he's not offering the other team this little uh, pact to, to do Switzerland out. In that instance where they're like, everybody back, 10 men, we defend our 1-0, that's still competing. So it might have the same end goal. And listen, I'm not holier than thou because when I was playing sport, I liked winning. But would I have been comfortable with doing that uh, as a player or a coach? No, I wouldn't because you always back yourself. And it took Spain longer to go, yeah, well, all right then, let's dance. But through they go, Neil, through they go. But geez, it was odd, I tell you. So the end result, David Villa is now Spain's record goal scorer in a World Cup. Andres Iniesta is the proud holder of a Man of the Match award, just back. And Spain have got through the group stages, not without a scare, but without a booking. Yeah, listen, it's funny how they've taken um, lemons and made lemonade. Um, they probably would have liked taking their lemons and made lemsip because the, the massive um, premium waiting for them when they get back to Poch, because they can go back. We're going back to Poch. I told you that on leaving, Poch felt like heaven. And now they are going back. We are going back. I mean, I don't know what time of night we got there. Probably 
in our case, probably two, three in the morning, stopping for sustenance on the way. But when when the World Cup winners elect get back to their rudimentary student accommodation, it's to find out that, uh, well, they're told that a generator has broken down. I suspect that somebody in Poch probably thought, well, that lot aren't coming back. We'll do some, <laughs> do some annual maintenance. And it means that in the middle of the South African winter, when the temperatures at night are below freezing, there's no central heating. Now, we didn't have central heating at all in, our, in the Pukalani guest house. And we slept, I mean, each of us slept in our full tournament kit, which is you know, umpteen, umpteen pairs of socks, a, a, a woolen bobble hat, and a great big ski anorak. And <laughs> I slept in that because it was utterly, utterly, there's no double glazing, there's no heating whatsoever, and our temperatures were easily five, six under at night. And unfortunately, the players had to do that as well. So maybe that meant they didn't have to do an ice bath. But a lot of the players sleep in their full uh, rain kit and anoraks and hats and gloves as well that night. But that's their reward for agreeing to play. To me, to you, to me, to you, football for 15 minutes skin chilly. I tell you, it was fate saying, hold on, there's a warning next time it's an early Okay, bath. so Spain are through as group winners, which is key. They would have been running into Brazil and that's not going to happen. I think Spain began to look at that and say, yeah, of the two, we're extremely happy that even with Cristiano in there and, and how they treat Cristiano is absolutely fascinating in Cape Town. We'll come to that. Spain definitely knew um, when we got to one-on-one interviews, which there were plenty of, or press conferences, they were careful in what they said, but they made it clear that they were delighted to be playing Portugal. And that's what happens next we're going to Cape Town, we'll be meeting Portugal and Spain will be going up against Cristiano and company. And Vicente Del Bosque tells his players, and I'm putting words in his mouth here, that if they beat Portugal, they'll all get a bit of waka waka. One of them in particular. And we could all do with more of that in our lives. For now, thank you very much for listening. And Graham Hunter, thank you very much. Shop, shop. Shabalala.